Well, good morning. If you uh, if you have your notes, it probably says something like you know pursue pursue people. Uh, Mike Tuttle, lead pastor. Um, I'm Adam. It's nice to meet you. I'm not Mike. Uh, Mike is sick this morning. Uh, last service, I said that Mike was you know not feeling well, which made it seem like he woke up and just kind of wanted to go back to sleep, so he slept in this morning and is not here with us. He is sick. Like he's not he's not okay to be here. Um, he's going to be okay though. Um, so just be praying for him. But, um, today I get the opportunity to speak, uh, you know, with you. And, and my hope for this morning is just that, um, you'll give me a little bit of grace as we, as we kind of go through this, um, because you're going to get what is an incredibly kind of raw, just version of, um, this message. But the hope is that at the end of the day, we can all leave here remembering something from the word of God. That, that something that Jesus says just stands above everything, and, and we really just want to look in on that, and, and everything else that just fades away, but that we can find life in Scripture, um, because that's where you go for that. And so, if you would, will you pray with me, uh, just as we get started and, and jump into this? Um, God, we are thankful for your house that you're building, and just um, the fact that you gather us together around your life-giving words. And God, we pray that as we hear today what, you're, what you have for us, we pray that it would just change us, that it would transform us, and that it would make us more and more like you so that the world can see who you are through us. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I have a, uh, a problem, and it's that I can get hyper-focused on ridiculous things uh, when I'm just sitting at home at the house. So like I'll be at the house and I'll just be sitting quietly, silently, because um, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't talk a whole, whole lot, but I'll just be sitting there uh, with Emily and Cohen and we'll be playing or something. And then I'll think to myself, I need to do that. And I need to do it right now. And I'll go and I'll do this really, really like obscure project and I'll get really focused on it for way too long. So like, for example, one evening on probably a, a Tuesday night, we were just back from work and I was standing there and um, Emily and Cohen were getting ready for dinner because it's dinner time. And I just, I, I went and I was like, you know what I need to do right now? I need to vacuum the duct covers, like all of the duct covers in our house that needs done. And I need to do it right now. And so I went and I did it. And the problem isn't that I did that. The problem comes in when I don't express out loud to Emily my thought process. Because to her, I'm just silent, gone, and then carrying the vacuum around the house, you know, vacuuming air duct covers. And I'll come back three, four, five, 24 hours later, having completed the project. And she's like, where were you? And I get into real big trouble when I say it like this. I was vacuuming the air duct covers. Like, obviously, are you joking? Why would you not know that that's what I was doing? Why did you get hyper-focused? I think I get it uh, from my dad, who also gets hyper-focused on random projects. But um, we're talking about today is focusing. And what happens when collectively we focus on the right things? What if we didn't focus on random things like I have a tendency to do, but collectively we just all looked at the right things and focused? And three years ago, 
we started a process with um, a guy named Gary Johnson. He came to our church in February 2014, and he led 30 leaders from MCC through a process where we tried to think about and think through how, what we needed to focus on for the next few years. And so he led us through these exercises and, uh, we asked several questions, one of them being, what's right at MCC? Like, what do we think is right? And the list that we came up with um, were it's just, these were some of those things, not the least of which is that we love people. Like, ultimately, we just want people to come here and find life and hope in who Jesus is. And it doesn't matter what you have gone through or what you are going through. You're welcome here because we love you. There's no other stipulation except for you are a person and we love you and Jesus also loves you. And so you're welcome here. Um, we also asked some questions like, what's wrong at MCC? And we started to look really honestly and really critically at what we were doing and what we needed to fix. And over the course of two days, we, we distilled our conversation down into three things that we wanted to pursue over the next three years. That being, we wanted to pursue people. We wanted to help more and more people than ever know and find hope and life in who Jesus is. We wanted to pursue Jesus. We wanted to become more and more like Jesus through discipleship. And we wanted to pursue leadership development. We wanted to equip people to lead in their context where they were so that people who are, you know, just struck by Jesus are leading wherever they are and they're changing the world. And so, um, when our goal was to determine a path that we could walk down as a church, a path that would, would help us with our mission. And our mission, as we stated, is MCC exists to help people begin and build a relationship with Jesus. And if you look at what we said we wanted to focus on for three years, we landed on pursue people, which is begin. We want to help people begin their relationship with Jesus. We wanted to pursue Jesus, which was build, I'm going to help people begin and build and going to go through discipleship and figure out what discipleship looks like in, in a modern day context. And we wanted to help put people in place to help lead in that process. And I don't know if you were around three years ago or if you've been around and been involved and seen any of the things that we've done with Pursue, um, but if you had any notion like I did, that focusing would help us only take forward steps and we would never misstep. And we, because we were focused, we would be on this trajectory of only good and no mistakes. Well, after about day two, we realized that wasn't going to be the case. And we'd made some missteps and we made some mistakes, but we've also had a ton of celebrations. And we've seen a lot of people get connected and plugged in to communities and to life in Christ and, and all these things. And, but it, it hasn't been it hasn't been a straightforward sort of a walk for us. It has been, though, a constant coming back to these things that we're focusing on. And as we've stepped aside, we, we need to say and look critically and honestly and, and come back and focus again and change the, some things. And so we're going into our third year, and we're going to continue to do the same things, continue focusing on how can we pursue people, Jesus, and leadership, and how can we be the best version of the church that Miamisburg needs because we are Jesus's representatives in this community and it's not okay for us to not get it right. And so we'll look honestly and we want to focus and passionately go after doing the right things. And so um, today we are uh, going to talk about the first of those three things. Um, we want to talk about pursuing uh, people and how we help people begin 
their, their walk with Jesus. And people beginning their walk with Jesus is why he came. People who were lost being found is why Jesus came. In John 17, um, what became known as the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying to God just before his crucifixion. And the subject of his prayer is you. And it's me. And he prays his final, he spends his final breath praying for the local church. And in verses 13 through 19 of John 17, he says this, Jesus is praying to God and he says, I'm on my way to you, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that my followers will have the same complete joy that I do. I've told them your message, but the people of this world hate them because they don't belong to this world just as I don't. Father, I don't ask you to take my followers out of this world, but keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world, and neither do I. He's developing this theme here, that those who are following Jesus are no longer a part of this world, and they're here for something other than what the world says you should be about. And then in verse 17, he says, your word is the truth. So let this truth make them completely yours. I'm sending them into the world just as you sent me. The one word mentioned two times in verse 18 is what we're talking about. It's the word sent. It comes from the Latin word missio, which is um, our word for missions. And that is literally what it means to be on mission, to be sent, to go to somewhere to show something. It's the same idea of an ambassador from a foreign country coming in so that they can represent the people in a foreign land. We are sent out of this place to go represent Jesus to a world. And so Jesus was sent into the world, not just to die on the cross for our sins, but he was sent into the world to show us what God was like. God's plan was to send Jesus to die for our sins and so that people could see what he is like, he, God, is like. As a matter of fact, John, Jesus said in John twelve forty five, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. You want to know what God is like? Then look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Follow after Jesus. And when you figure out what Jesus is like, you'll know what God is like. And here's why this is huge for us. Because Jesus was sent to show us what God is like. And now you and I, those who know who Jesus is, are to show others what Jesus is like. God's plan is that I have been sent by Jesus to show what he is like. In other words, your faith is not merely about coming to church to be a better version of you. Though it will happen if you keep following Jesus and you keep you know, pursuing discipleship, you will become a better you and you will live a more full life, but that's not all that it's about. I love what Max Lucado writes in his book, It's Not About Me. I read It's Not About Me when I was a, a freshman or sophomore in high school when I really started to um, try to make my faith my own. Uh, it had just come out and I got it and I read it. And at 16, I was in the height of stupidity and selfishness. Um, just because I was. And so this message of this book just, I mean, struck me. And I've been working on it ever since. And I probably got it right, I don't know, sometime next week. I'm still working on it. But um, he says this, aren't we all born with the default drive set on selfishness? I want a spouse that makes me happy and coworkers who always ask my opinion. 
I want weather that suits me and traffic that helps me and government that serves me. It's all about me. And I don't know about you, but my number one tendency is to slip that selfishness into how the church should behave. Even though I've been a part of the church for a long time, for almost my whole life, I've had a church to go to. And I still want the church to cater to my preferences. You know who doesn't care about my preferences? The lost and broken person who's at the end of their rope. They don't care what video I think should be shown on Sunday or what song I think we should sing. They want to see, is Jesus real? And they want me to show up in the world to be Jesus, not to argue and bicker over what happens in the walls, but to be sent out of these walls to go show the world who Jesus is. And of course, of course we'll do things that we like to do in church. We will make art. We will sing songs that we like. We'll, we'll participate in things that we like. But don't misunderstand it and don't overestimate the importance of those things because those things only serve to send us out into the world to show a world who Jesus is. I have a two-year-old, an almost three-year-old. He'll be three in March. Um, but he he makes stuff, he draws stuff, he colors stuff. Um, he likes to color anything, whether I think it should be colored or not, walls, uh, my books, anything. He just wants to color it. Um, in fact, he got for Christmas this magical thing. It's like, it's this thing that you color, but it's just, you know, the outline. And then you take water and you can color with water, and it's perfectly filled in, and it light, it's color, and then when it dries, it goes white again, so you can color it like infinite number of times. It's actual magic. I don't know how it happens. Science, I don't know. It's, you know, tricky. But he, he likes to color things, and he'll bring me those things that he's made, and I love them. In fact, in my office, I have two, uh, two sticker art pieces of paper, it's just art. It's, it's a masterful expression of color theory and balance, and it exudes with emotion, and it's taped up on my wall because it's my child's scribbles, and I think it's incredible, and I'm proud of him, and I want him to make more of those things for me, but that's not all I want for his life. I don't want him to just make things for me and for his life to constantly be about him making stuff and handing it to me and seeking my approval. And yes, God, our Father, loves when we make things, when we sing songs, when we sing out with all that we have, when we make art, when we, when we paint things, when we make videos, and when we use it all to show his glory. But he doesn't want us to just do that with our lives. He wants us to live just like I want Cohen to live. I want Cohen to fully live and not just be worried about giving me things, but to go out and live. And my number one priority for Cohen is that he so is struck by Jesus that he goes out and he shows the world who Jesus is. And if I want that for Cohen, then God wants that so much more for Cohen and for me and for you and for all of us. He wants us to go and be about his mission. And his mission was not to come for the healthy, but to come for those who need a doctor, the sick. Jesus said in, in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to look for and save people who were lost. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 1:15, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of course, he loves it when we gather together here and when we do things that bring him glory, but he doesn't want us to just do that. 
We're not just a gathering organization. We gather to go and we gather to show a world who Jesus is and what he's about. And we get to be Jesus to a world who desperately wants to know who Jesus is. One author put it this way. He said, the church should be the gospel made visible. We, the church, should be the gospel made visible, the gospel that has flesh, that has a voice, that meets people in their world. We should be the gospel made visible. Every election, we have people that come into our building who just volunteer to serve in the elections. They just are our poll workers, and they help people get registered and make sure that they can, uh, they can vote. And has anybody in here ever worked the polls or volunteers at the polls for the election? It is a long day and a difficult day. And so we thought, hey, if they're going to be here all day, if they're going to be in this house that Jesus is building, how would he want us to behave with those people? And so they show up at like six in the morning and a volunteer from here also showed up at six in the morning with donuts and coffee. And then at lunchtime, a volunteer from here showed up with pizza so that they could eat and not have to worry about where they were going to get a warm meal. And if you don't think that made a difference, we got an email the next day, which said this, gang, wanted to let you know that all the poll workers that were in our building yesterday were very impressed and complimentary towards MCC's hospitality. They kept going on and on about how nice everyone was and how the staff made them feel welcome. They were especially grateful for the donuts and pizza. Most of them had brought cold sandwiches and were glad MCC provided a warm meal and hoped they were able to come back for the next election. Somebody should have told them we're open between elections. <laughs> I just wanted you to know you made quite the impression on the group yesterday. Way to go. The gospel made visible is sometimes incredibly easy and just looks like generosity. <laughs> the gospel made visible is sometimes incredibly simple and just sounds like a kind word. It just sounds like showing up in somebody's world who you know is lonely, and we are the gospel made visible. We're not just to gather to sing songs to make ourselves feel good. We're out to go and help people who are lost and hurting and hopeful that they can find hope, and we have hope, and it's in Jesus. We have a family in our church who just moved, and they were in a position where they didn't have to, they didn't have to sell their house right away. Um, and so they were wondering, and they began going down a path of figuring out how um, they could use their home to provide temporary shelter uh, for a refugee family. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. He said, have my house. You don't have anywhere to stay? Go stay in my house. You, you can stay there. You don't need to be homeless anymore. Or one of our moms um, sent us an email about uh, her daughter, and she said, I'm sure you guys have heard about Brooklyn. Um, she's on student council at her school at Mark Twain, and she came up with the idea of Socktober. And on October 18th, they were all wearing wacky socks to school, and the kids were to bring a new pair of socks to donate um, through October 31st. And all those socks were donated to Threads, our clothing ministry. Why? Because if Jesus heard people didn't have socks and needed them, he would have gotten them socks. And so this student who's in a leadership position in her elementary school used her leadership position to make a difference in Jesus' name. And people now have socks because an elementary school student said, I won't waste this opportunity. I'll use it to 
be Jesus to a world who desperately needs Jesus. If you were here last week, you heard Mike say that we want to help 70 people begin their faith journey with Jesus this year and be baptized. And in the last 15 years, we've never helped that many people in one year. So it's unprecedented. But it's a goal worth going after. Because if we get 70 people to be baptized and to come to know who Jesus is, that's 70 more people whose eternity is secure and whose life right now is made more full in who Jesus is. That's 70 more people. And so it's worth going after. Even if it scares us to death, it's a goal worth focusing on and it's a goal worth going after. And if that doesn't, number doesn't seem all that big, then our other goal is to have 700 guests this year. 700 guests doesn't mean for us 700 people who go to another church, but visit here and just check it out for one time and then go back to their other church. We're happy they go to another church. And we're not saying those people don't count, but 700 guests to us means 700 people who have no earthly clue who Jesus is were invited by their friends who gather here to come and see and experience that Jesus isn't going to condemn them, judge them, and his followers aren't going to condemn them and judge them. They're going to welcome you in with open arms. 700 people who have no church home and who have no idea who Jesus is walk in these doors and find out, oh, wait, the people of Jesus are kind and loving and gracious, and they accepted me even though this is going on in my life or even though this happened yesterday or last month or last year, they welcomed me in because that's exactly the kind of house that Jesus would want to build, and that's exactly the kind of place we are going to become. 700 people need to see Jesus, and we can be the place for them. We can be the gospel made visible for them if we would just drop our assumptions and open our doors and let Jesus do what Jesus does through us. And we're going to have four Sundays this year where the primary goal is to just open the doors wide and just take down every barrier we possibly can to somebody coming to a church because it is intimidating sometimes to go to a place where you have no idea if there's going to be any, you know, normal people there. And so they just go, I'm going to go to church? I don't know, you know. So we're just going to open our doors wide and try to take down every barrier, every apprehension, and just have those people come. And you invite your friends. <laughs> those 700 people reflect the people that you know. I don't know 700 people, probably. If I tried to invite 700 people myself, they would think that the church was crazy because I'd just be a crazy person going inviting 700 people I don't know. We're also going to further develop our compassion-based ministries. Jesus would go and meet needs. And so we will go and meet needs so that people can find life in him. It includes our ministries through helping hands, which feeds people. That includes our ministry through threads, which clothes people. That includes one bistro, which helps feed people. That includes angel tree. That includes collecting school supplies for back to school so that students don't have to worry about if their parents can afford new school supplies. That means partnering with BOG. We will continue to meet people where they are and help meet their needs. And we're going to develop that even more. And it's also important that you and I, that we collectively don't underestimate how important it is to share our story. It's easy to think, oh, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I don't have a crazy story. Your story is what Jesus has done for you. And that's real. 
And no one can argue what Jesus has done for you. They can argue theory, but they can't argue experience. And so you telling your story of what God has done for you and through you and to you will be the thing that helps people understand who Jesus is. That is also making the gospel visible. When you say, you know what, I was this, but then Jesus happened, and now I'm this. In Revelation, it says, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by what Jesus did on the cross, and by the the word of our testimony, by us sharing our story of what God has done for us. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, always be prepared to give an answer. To everyone who asks, you're to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. So we also want to equip you to share his story. There's a blank spot at the, at the bottom of your notes. Um, and we've done this thing in, in, over the past year or so. It's just the, uh, an illustration, a simple illustration of the gospel. Um, if you would... Grab a uh, pen and, and just do this with me. Just write on one side, us or me, and then on the other side, God. Nothing in between, just blank, us and God on the same, on the same page. This is how it was designed to be. We were to live in community with God. We were, there was supposed to be no barrier. In the Garden of Eden, we, were, we walked with God. He walked and talked with us. But then we decided that we wanted to be like God. And so pride and selfishness took root and it created a separation. A separation too wide for you to jump on your own. A separation too wide for good deeds to cover. A separation too wide for living just a good life to cover. And a separation that would separate you from God forever. And that separation is a place that the Bible you know, refers to as hell. We, in our imperfection, were separated permanently from God, and we could do nothing to overcome our imperfection. And so Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life that we could not live, and then he died a death that we deserve on the cross, and that cross spans the gap between us and God. We can walk freely back to God through the expanse covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. His sacrifice is sufficient. His grace is enough. His perfection is yours, if only you believe. You believe that he did what he said he would do. You believe that he he is who he says he was, and you believe him and take him at his word, And then you repent, which means you actually start walking back towards God across that cross. And that that separation is no longer. You can start making your way back to him. It's turning around and heading back in the direction of God. And the third thing is you should be baptized. Baptism is just a symbol to the world that I believe Jesus and I surrender to him. I will become more and more like him every day. And so we get to have a party (laughs) where you may have seen it. We, two people stand in the, in the baptistry and one person makes a confession and the other person dunks them in the water. 
just to symbolize I am dying to my old life and I'm being raised again in a life in pursuit of Jesus. And that's a party we want to have at least 70 times this year. And that's a party we want you to participate in because if you know who Jesus is, we want you to be in the baptistry with your friend who does not yet know who Jesus is, who doesn't yet know what Jesus has to offer and you're standing in the baptistry with them because you became the gospel made visible in their life. And this is not a far-fetched thing. This is something that happens here time and time again. We just want it to happen more and more frequently. We want to see baptisms dozens every week because that represents life change and life found in who Jesus is. And we will go where no one else will go. And we'll be Jesus to people who no one else will be Jesus to because we have to. Jesus came to seek and save sinners of whom I'm foremost, of whom I'm saved most. And so I'll go and I'll tell people what Jesus has done for me. We must go. Our city needs us to go. Your friends and your family need you to be the gospel made visible and we have to go together. We pray with me. Father God, we are blown away thankful for you and for your son, for his sacrifice. God, we desperately want the world to see you and to give us the courage to be you in the world to go with your kindness and your grace and your generosity and your truth and change the world. Not because we're powerful, but because you are incredible and you're with us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.